The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Hi, my name is Megan Buchter, and I'm the director of the Fowler Center for Business as an Agent of World Benefit at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. At the Fowler Center, we run a program called Aim to Flourish. Its purpose is to teach students about the power of business to do well financially and do good in the world, and to teach students about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and how businesses can help to achieve them. As part of this program, every year we award the annual Flourish Prizes, one for each of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. Today, I have the honor of introducing you to our Flourish Prize honorees for Global Goal number 17, Partnerships for the Goals. Today, we have with us Professor Charles Cho from York University Schulich School of Business, his student Heather Sharp, and Needslist founder and CEO Natasha Friedis. I'm so honored to have the three of you here with us today. Professor Charles Cho, I'd like to start with you. Could you please Tell us a little bit about your experience with Aim to Flourish, how it fits into your class, the course that you're teaching. We'd love to hear about how you've used it at, at your, in your course. Sure. Um, so I found out about Aim to Flourish um, a few years ago at a conference uh, when I met uh, Claire Sommer, who was a director at that time. And when she introduced uh, the project and the assignment, I was very fascinated. It was also right before I was making my move from uh, ESSEC Business School in France to Schulich here in Toronto. And as soon as I joined, I started using it. Um, I have to say I got a really uh, great support from, from Claire and yourself, Megan. You were um, there at that time. And uh, so in winter 2018, I, I, this is my first class I taught in at Schulich. Uh, my class is called Sustainability Accounting and Accountability. Uh, it's a relatively small elective course, and the project, the Aim to Flourish project, counts for 25% of the final grade as an individual assignment. And um, I, I emphasize individual assignment because it allows me in the class to balance between individual and group work, because they have a semester-long group work. And this one is individual, which allows them to really personally experience uh, um, the project uh, fully, uh, provide experiential learning, which we know has a lot of value. Um, you know, asking them to contact the real person, the leader in the sustainable domain, to learn about their background, their inspiration, their experience, the innovation which they have to, to study, allows them to learn uh, via the appreciate inquiry method, which you also provide as instructions about the SDGs in more depth. So rather than going through all 17 of them descriptively, what I really like is that they get to choose the company and, and the person, and then of course they have two, three, four. SDGs, they go in depth uh, and, and what the company or the leader did in order to achieve those SDGs. Um, so in, in, in a sense, it's it a full course learning from the, the, the beginning to the end allows them also to have uh, great networking opportunities, learning about a business or leader they, they maybe always want to know about and a part of assignment. So it's been a very rewarding um, aspect of the course. So I will say that I, I mention you all the time because your course also has a tie to accounting. And so when I speak to professors, I tell them about all the different courses that Aim to Flourish can really fit into and be used into. Um, and yours is kind of one of those different outliers. So I use it as an example very frequently. Yes. Well, I have to say it's I think it moves away a little bit from the accounting topic per se, but it's very complementary with the other projects. As I said, they do a group project on studying a report in depth 
Um, and then they do this experiential learning, which is very different. And to me, it allows them to have uh, developed interpersonal skills, soft skills, uh, these inquiry skills, uh, and do it on their own. I was just talking to a colleague this morning um, explaining the project, and you, I think you could do it by pair, but I, I wanted to make sure they do it on their own. That's really their individual assignment that they have to do uh, and they take it to heart. So another thing I've done a little bit more recently, I think on Heather's class, I, I didn't have a chance, but this year I, I dedicated a whole class for the students to come and share the stories in front of other students. It's something I didn't have a chance to do, but I rearranged my schedule. I thought that the students, their peer, their classmates would like to hear what they found out about what companies, and that session was really, I mean, of course, they have not much time because we have a limited amount of, of time and, and the number of students, but it's been, I think that was also a rewarding aspect to, to learn what the other my classmates done and learn about other companies. I get to learn about local and international companies and and you know uh, social enterprises and all these initiatives, which are great. Yeah, that's great. In a in a course that I help with, I also have the students give presentations on the company that they that they chose and did the interview about and the experience. And even though I get to read all of the stories, it is also nice to hear directly from the students about their experience. Speaking of experience, Heather, I'd love to hear about yours being a part of Professor Cho's class and then also going through the Aim to Flourish assignment, that whole process and what that looked like for you. Yeah. Um, so the class in general was really interesting and very relevant to what I do now. So it's really figuring out how to analyze and understand corporate social responsibility disclosures. So this was a little bit different than this final project, which again, but I think is also really useful because in that world and really everywhere now, everyone's talking about the SDGs. And I think this was a really good framework for looking at how you could actually apply the SDGs to a particular company and how they could have real impact towards those. So I think it was a really great example of kind of fighting against some of the impact washing that can come with a lot of talk to do with SDGs because it's a really deep look at a company that's founded to meet that purpose. Very different than just, you know, adding some SDGs to your corporate reporting and so on. So I think it really complemented the course well, where we'd go through all of the different corporate disclosures and look for those elements, look for what was a true commitment to sustainability versus really just kind of greenwashing or impact washing, as I said, and then finishing off with this capstone of a company like Needs List that really took that purpose and that impact first and then built a company around that. That is a really good tie, and that's um, really exciting to hear that this has really led into what you currently do. Um, it's nice to hear that impact as well. How did you find Natasha and Needs List while you were doing the assignment? I was actually working on another project as well for a Mint competition, and a different professor introduced me to Natasha, and so we were talking about that, and then we got along really well, and I thought it was just an incredible company, so it would be a perfect person to interview for this. I'm always interested in hearing how students find the companies. You know, I know when you introduce the assignment, a lot of times that's one of the points of like, oh, no, I have to go out and I have to find somebody to interview. How am I going to do this? I run into that with my own students. I know other professors do as well. So it's always interesting to hear how about, about how students find who they're going to interview. 
that part to me, I think uh, the most one of the biggest challenge for the students is to find the company. I mean, Heather had a chance to find, um, you know, in, in through networking and relatively smoothly. But I do see some students who struggle, uh, who also put it off. So I really start early to, to tell them you really have to start early because it will take time to find somebody who will want to give you their time to to interview. So I, I, I'm also very flexible uh, in terms of who they can choose because there are some criteria, but sometimes they would go to overseas companies and they do it on Zoom. This was before COVID, but they, they managed to, I mean, sometimes you don't get to meet uh, the company because they're not locally uh, in Toronto. So uh, I'm, I'm very open. And then they, sometimes they will have sometimes for profit, sometimes not for profits. And it, it is a challenge. And undergraduate, I think, struggle more with that because they don't have the networks that the MBA students like Heather had, uh, also the personality and the experience that they may have. But at the end, I never had a problem with that, but some students have more difficulties than others. So. Yeah, in the end, I do feel as though everyone always finds somebody and it, it, you know, once you have that interview set up, doing the interview is very, it ends up being very exciting and it's not as nerve wracking as students think. Um, but a lot of times it's that, oh no, I have to find a company. That's really the hardest part. Heather, were you able to do your interview in person or did you use did you use Zoom or Skype? In person. This was a little over a year and a half ago, back before everything was on Zoom and it was we were both located in Toronto. So I went to the co-working space where Tasha was working and got to interview her in person, which was nice. That's great. It's great to hear that you were able to do it in person. Even although like Professor Cho said, even before COVID, you know, we always encourage students that they could do their their interviews via Zoom. So um, it's been pretty easy to adapt a lot of what we're doing this year in, in to different situations at different universities. Natasha, I feel like we've been talking a lot about you and haven't gotten a chance to hear from you. I'd love to hear about Needs List and you know what really inspired you to create this company an amazing company um, from from what I've read. I've read the story. So I'd like to hear it. I'd love to hear it from you. Thank you. And thank you so much for this opportunity. And of course, to Heather for writing the story and Dr. Cho for providing the opportunity, because I do think that kind of real life experience and talking to companies like ours is, is really critical, um, especially in terms of supporting another generation of social entrepreneurs and, and f- other founder, potential founders. So um yeah, Needsless got started in 2016. Um, we build software and solutions really designed to uh, promote faster and more sustainable humanitarian action. And so by that, we're really looking at um, moments of crisis like COVID, um, uh, natural disasters, humanitarian settings, that those moments where um, companies and the private sector are really looking to help but nobody knows what's needed on the ground. So our tools aggregate and match needs from the ground from local nonprofits with private sector companies. And so we really like to think of ourselves as the technical infrastructure that underlies partnerships. And that's where the SDG 17 comes in. And frankly, I feel like it's a very overlooked um, UN Sustainable Development Goal. There's so much focus on some of the other ones. And people talk about partnerships in terms of fighting poverty or addressing gender equity issues. But the reality is um, there's been very little innovation in how those partnerships take place. And so we, we are really a fabric that connects the public sector, the private sector, and the nonprofit sector to coordinate and respond more efficiently. And not just for crisis, but for resiliency overall. 
And then in terms of how we got started, we really got started um, in the midst of the Syrian refugee crisis. I was living in France and I was a first responder on the ground supporting local refugees and completely struck at the lack of technology tools to support the coordination of, of folks like myself. And I come from a tech background and it made no sense to me that I had to email people 40 times a day and say, no, don't bring that, bring this. And you know, our list became updated. So I actually ended up using a wedding registry. That was the the first iteration of Needslist and realized the more I talked to people that there was something there was something there. Um, and the product has really evolved because we realized this problem wasn't just about local grassroots um, organizations. We realized that even large institutions like the UN and like FEMA actually are using spreadsheets and sticky notes and, and conference calls. So there's a massive need for innovation in the sector. So is Needslist used globally? I know you started in France, but now you're in Toronto. Yeah, so I've moved personally to Toronto, but our tools have been used globally from the beginning. So we're actually in over 25 countries right now. Wow, that's great. And so I'm really curious because you mentioned COVID-19, but how has Needslist been used in relationship to COVID-19? Yeah, so uh, the onset of COVID uh, really corresponded with the release of our new product. Um, So we found ourselves alpha testing in pretty much the most extreme circumstances you could imagine. We said, oh my goodness, we're testing a new software in conflict zones, in a pandemic, in languages we don't speak. What could go wrong, right? Um, But uh, we had, um, our customers are primarily network nonprofits or foundations or public sector, anybody who's in charge of, you know, coordination. And one of, um, we got in touch with a nonprofit that was responding in several African countries and really interested in better sharing resources with local responders and with uh, corporates that were looking to help in better ways, as well as local suppliers. And so uh, we deployed quickly um, in, we're in responding now in Kenya, Uganda, um, let's see, Ethiopia, Somalia, and South Sudan. And um, we also uh, set up a quick deployment here in Toronto. We had folks like IKEA Canada helping out as to uh, matching kitchen supplies with local food security uh, providers. So, you know, in terms of COVID, everybody thinks about PPE. And of course, that was the first set of urgent needs. But there's a whole set of, of underlying needs that have emerged as, as communities are really cont- in continued lockdown and not able to work. It's interesting. And the goal is to match needs with somebody locally. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So um, we're working with SAP now who has a um, one of their products, the SAP Ariba catalog is, you know, a catalog of millions of local suppliers. So they've identified thousands of suppliers, for example, in Uganda who are able to make offers either pro bono or highly discounted to local nonprofits around things like hand sanitizer and masks and gowns. And so that's been really exciting to see happen because um, the traditional model of aid is really shipping all of these uh, items from abroad, which even before COVID was problematic in terms of, um, you know, customs and import taxes, not to mention the carbon footprint of shipping these items and the economic impact of not purchasing locally. So our argument is, you know, these providers do exist locally. We just need a better way of mapping and matching and identifying them. And I'm sure time was also, you know, if you're shipping something, you're not going to have it immediately. That's right. That's right. So now people can get what they need much faster. Exactly. Great. 
I love this story um, for our our Flourish Prize winner for Goal 17 um, because it's not just that you're creating partnerships. It's that you're creating all of these different partnerships really all over the world to match needs with people or organizations that have those those products or those items. Um, I think that's wonderful. That's a really, really great way to to highlight partnerships for the goals. 17 is not a goal that is often... Uh, in the story, so over the year, I mean, over the three years I've done, uh, kind of I didn't count, but there were not that many SDG 17 based stories. So it was one of the the, the a bit unique uh, when Heather submitted her story. It was fascinating. I've never thought some company like this even existed. So I think that just put it maybe put it on the edge and 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 very rewarding as well. So I just want to point out because SDG 17 is somewhat overlooked compared to the what I call a big problem with hunger, which are all important, of course, but partnerships is not always always as uh, put on a spotlight as the other goals. So I'm, I'm glad that. Yeah, and I think that's really true, and especially as you're looking at kind of almost SDG washing, as Heather referred to it earlier, whereas a lot of corporates and impact investors looking to, um, you know, selecting specific SDGs that they're investing in. Um, I actually haven't seen partnerships anywhere. And so that was actually a huge challenge for us um, when we were raising a seed round was to find investors and partners that were really recognized the potential and the need for this kind of a solution. We did it, but it was, uh, you know, we had to get people, I think so many folks end up being very siloed in, they, they choose SDG three or five and that's their work. And um, really helping people think outside the box uh, was challenging, not to mention um, actually humanitarian aid and displacement, which were the two uh, areas we were really focused on, especially at the beginning, are not SDGs. And that became a challenge for us, even though they, you know, were, are underlying so many of the other SDGs. I think it is overlooked and it's really unfortunate because you obviously need partnerships to achieve all of the other goals and to think that you should only be tackling just climate or just hunger and not trying to think of ways to build systems to do that like Tasha is doing is really an unfortunate way of overlooking a big part of the solution, I think. Yeah, we do at Aim to Flourish have probably the least amount of stories about global goal number 17. Um, but I also feel like when we get them, they're really good. Um, and so, you know, when we're looking, when we're doing the Flourish prizing process and looking at the stories that we have around goal 17, it's it's one of the toughest ones um, for the jury to kind of read the stories and decide. Um, because, you know, once you once you found something that meets goal 17, you know, Usually, uh, you know, it's a really interesting innovation. Heather, I'm, I'm curious for you to tell a little bit about your interview experience with Natasha. How did the actual interview go? What do you feel like you took away from that interview? Um, I feel like as other students might watch this, they'd be really interested in hearing kind of about your experience of the interview. One thing that I really liked about your process was the idea of appreciative inquiry so that you were supposed to kind of sit down and allow a conversation to develop. It wasn't meant to be so much just like, I have a question, you answer. Oh, we're off topic, you know? So it was quite an organic conversation. Again, I was lucky because it wasn't the first time we had met or talked. So I think that allowed for an even more organic conversation where we really got, I got a really good chance to just hear a lot about the background story and the inspiration 
and a lot of those little details that really makes the story shine through. So it was altogether a very nice experience for me. <laughs> Good, thanks. And thanks for bringing up appreciative inquiry that is, you know, even if we have professors that aren't incorporating appreciative inquiry into their classes, we do have that incorporated into those interview questions automatically so that the interview can focus on strengths and what inspired the organization and maybe high point stories of the, the process during the creation or being of the innovation. Um, and so it's not focused so much on, you know, problems that you're facing or challenges, but really on what's going really well and how you're working to solve, you know, one or more of the global goals and how you're meeting those global goals. And I think that that makes, when you're interviewing with a student, it makes, um, you know, being being that type of social entrepreneur or business leader feel more achievable um, than if you're talking to someone about the kind of challenges that they face every single day and you're not focused on what's going really well. I have to say for the appreciative inquiry, I mentioned it also in the positive sides of the project, obviously, but I think if, I don't know if professors will listen to, to this video or not, but I have to say your support and resources make our job quite easy for for us to to convey the, the skills to the students because everything is is there. I mean, the, the website is amazing. The resource that we got is, it's almost like, you know, key on and then just, you know, just open the door. Of course, we tailor it to our own classes, but the tools and the support and the appreciative inquiry, the video out there, um, I rarely had any even students asking me what is appreciative inquiry, which shows some, that means that <laughs> instructions are very clear. And uh, that's what we want them to learn as well, how to, to, to approach a problem, a discussion, a conversation, interview that way. So I think it's phenomenal uh, that the way, the way you, you put the resources out there. So thanks. <laughs> No, thank you. Yeah, we do try to put as many resources as we can out there and then leave everything as flexible as possible so that professors can tailor the assignment to how they need to, to how they need it to fit into their uh, into their class, into their class projects, whether they're doing it individually or in groups as part of a longer semester project or something shorter at the end or in the middle um, so that it's easy to use because we want as many students as possible out there having interviews with people like Natasha and getting a chance to hear their stories one-on-one -on -one or, you know, in a group with a business leader, because it's so important to be able to hear those stories right from, right from the source. Natasha, what was the interview like from you, did, for you? Did you, um, could you pick up on the fact that, that Heather was using different types of interview questions? No, I actually am listening thinking I had no idea. Um, but it was, I remember it being quite relaxed because, um, like Heather said, we already knew each other quite well because she had done quite a thorough report and project about needs list. And so it probably would have felt very different if we had not already worked together, essentially. Um, I just remember being you know, flattered by the opportunity and thinking, wow, there's, there's a prize and a project around this. That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the prize and the public, at least everybody gets published. So that's an incentive for the students. And I think for the company, because it's exposure and promotion and some kind of advertising, which we, nobody has enough of that on the positive way. And then the possibility of winning a prize. I know that before the pandemic, there was even a gathering of some sorts to meet, I think, at, at Case Western, but just having that recognition as well. Um, now I have, you know, a, a couple of students actually who won prize. I, I can tell my future students, hey, you can win a prize even in this class, imagine. And well, it's not that important in a way that 
Of course, there's only a few winners because you have to make a choice. But just having these websites uh, story published, uh, it, it's it's great exposure for everybody. I think because you are bringing positive um, aspects of uh, of innovation like this. So, thanks. Yeah, I mean the. The first goal is to be able to share and lift up these stories of these businesses. So we do we do try to publish as much as possible. Um, and so, you know, again, we're very happy that we are able to publish this story about Needs List. It's, it gives us a chance to learn about organizations that we haven't learned about before. And then we hope that other people are coming to the website to, to read stories and learn about organizations that they haven't, haven't learned about before. And then, yes, we do this prizing process every year. And um, you know, this year we're we're doing more more virtual virtual celebrations, um, but we have been able to do these speaker series, which has been really exciting for us and something something different and get a, a broader audience to hear not only about Aim to Flourish and the Flourish Prizes, but also to really to hear your story, Natasha, and to hear about Needs List and how you're working all over the world for Global Goal 17 by you know making these partnerships between organizations and, and needs. So. Um, we're excited to be able to to share that and to have you on today to to talk about your organization and your experience. Yeah, and I think about the interview. I think the the, the case of Heather and, and Tasha was almost by the book. I mean, like very professional, smooth. Sometimes I had students, as I mentioned, a challenge, and they end up interviewing their employer. Uh, sometimes their family businesses. Sometimes somebody that they have never met or heard of is just found on the internet or LinkedIn. And I think that can add some complications, but some excitement as well. So all interactions, I think, between the student and the interviewee or the business leader uh, could be quite interesting and diverse. So I don't get a lot of the feedback. Maybe I should ask one day, but uh, I know I can imagine the relationships. Uh, some of it's like my brother-in-law or my whoever, my family has a business in India doing this and then the interview. Or, you know, I think it just brings a lot of different scenarios and diversity on, on the relationship. So, um, yeah, I think it's great. Overall, you just get to meet people or learn about this person or this company from another angle. So, Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great opportunity. I would like, as Charles said, I think it would be interesting to hear what all the other students did because I think there is, in Toronto in particular and everywhere now, there is really quite an ecosystem of different social enterprises and it's really great to know what's out there because... If you don't know, it can be very easy to miss all of this activity that is happening. And so I think it's great to uncover that and to hear more about great companies. And speaking of which, I, since it's been a while, I would be very curious to hear some updates. Um, we heard a bit about COVID-19 and how Needs List is acting for that. But in general, I think in the last year and a half since I wrote the story, a lot has changed at Needs List. And I've been following, but I'd be curious to hear directly some of what happened. Yeah, thanks, Heather. Um, yes, we're a company that pivoted even before COVID-19 hit. So um, I believe when we spoke, uh, the way Needs List really started out, our original vision was to be the platform, like an open marketplace where nonprofits could come, where co companies could come, and um, we had a membership model, and then their needs could be matched, right? And what happened was in the autumn, it was September of 2019, when Hurricane Durian hit, um, we were approached by USAID, who was actively seeking a better tool 
for their response in the Bahamas. Um, they were getting flooded by offers from the private sector, and they didn't have any good way to log those or match those um, with needs on the ground. And they said, can you help? And we said, uh, sure, <laughs> we'd be happy to. And we basically spun up a microsite, like a landing page that was customized for USAID. And it was like this total light bulb moment, because instead of us desperately building that technology, reaching out to the corporates and reaching out to the nonprofits, we had a customer essentially who was paying us and already had inbound on both sides. They just needed a better matching tool. And we said, this is what we need to do. So um, we have moved to a white labeled model where we sell the software as a service. Um, and so instead, we don't have an open marketplace. It's, and one thing I found is it's really hard to pivot when you're um, a, a company because people really get used to thinking about you in a certain way and it's very hard for them to adjust and they say well how do you know what the needs are and I say well it's whatever you you say the needs are you know they say who gets to use the platform and I say well it's you decide who gets to use the platform so basically we brand it and configure it and really license it out to these coordinating bodies um and ultimately, I really do think it will be a GovTech solution. In the meantime, we know government is not an early adapter when it comes to new technology solutions. And we've really been focusing on foundations and um, private sector and nonprofits, anybody who is in this coordinating role in the meantime. Even more partnerships. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's the biggest change. Um, and then we actually have done a lot of other work um, I think, like I said, related to COVID-19 and uh, doubling down on these some of these supplier partnerships and um, over the last six months as well. So um, like everybody, we've been adjusting. We fortunately were a remote team from the beginning. So in terms of the kind of human resource infrastructure, we had that all set. Uh, the majority of us are here in Toronto, but my co-founder, Amanda, is based in the States and our product lead is there too. So we've been very fortunate, but... Um, Adjusting to uh, not being able to go to conferences and travel has been a huge challenge for us. Uh, most of our sales leads did come from speaking at innovation events or um, partnership events. And so uh, we're finding it's just not the same to be doing that online. And you can't go, as we spoke about earlier, you can't go stalk people at the happy hour. So <laughs> we're figuring out new new ways to make those contacts and leads. And I, I know that's a challenge for everybody right now. That's really interesting. Um, and thank you for sharing that update. And also about how you determine who your customer is or how you determine, you know, what your what kind of problem you're solving for your customer. Uh, it feels so applicable to a variety of business classes that I now feel like you should be teaching. <laughs> or taking. Or speaking in. <laughs> Um, I want to give everyone a chance if there's anything else that you feel like you wanted to add or you feel like I missed um, or closing thoughts. Well, I thought, uh, okay, maybe, uh, I don't know. Um, I understood that I was supposed to ask some, something to Heather. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just asking, and I think you sort of gave her the question about how, how uh, maybe I can ask two questions, like the most challenging part. Apparently the assignment for her obviously went very well, but maybe there was a challenging aspect of the assignment, something that, and then wow, how did it differ from, or how did it impact on the program that she went through on, on in, at Trulik at the MBA program in comparison to not only classes, but all the projects within classes that she did? One major difference compared to a lot of the projects that I did was that it was an individual project, which was different 
an MBA, you end up doing a lot of group work. And it's always nice, especially if it's based on writing, to kind of get to do it on your own and instead really work on you know, the relationship and the conversation with Tasha rather than all the team behind the scenes. So that was something that was different. And I think it's really important to incorporate some of as well. Um, in terms of challenges, I don't think, I mean, I think at first when you proposed the project, just the initial thoughts of who am I going to contact? Where do I start is what seemed challenging. And then I was quite lucky because as I said, Things kind of happened quite naturally, but I think that is certainly the place that could be the most challenging because always that initial cold call, reaching out to people on LinkedIn or whatever you would do is a challenge for anyone, I think. So that is certainly the part of the project that I think could be the most challenging. And then just taking a complex idea, a lot of different elements of a company, of a human of a background story and trying to make it all into one concise story that flows well for this purpose. I think I always joke that, half a joke with the students, uh, like the Toronto has a good ecosystem of those type of social enterprise, but if every year my students are going to interview all the business leaders and it's done again, because I don't know how, maybe something that can be evolved and, you know, uh, Natasha could be interviewed you know, next year or two to see how it is evolved again, but Fortunately, I think in Toronto, we have these choices, we have this ecosystem where you can find, um, you know, potential, um, you know, interviewees as well. So whether you are in a different location, it could be a bit more challenging. At the same time, you can reach out online on the internet as well. So, Yeah, that's great. And I, I will add, Heather, your story did turn out wonderful. Um, I, re- I reread it before this call and um, I was just that much more excited to get a chance to talk to all of you and to hear Natasha tell her story in person after, you know, reading, you know, reading about how Needsless started and hearing about France and the Syrian refugee crisis. And um, so your story is, is very, very well written and tells the story of Needsless very well. Thank you very much. I was lucky to have great material. <laughs> I'm just gonna thank uh, thank you and to Flourish and uh, Natasha for making you know one of the companies available to my students and former students and Heather for doing such a great job writing story. I mean, there of course there's the interviewing part and the writing part, and then the writing part is somewhat sometimes could be challenging. Heather didn't have a problem obviously on that that one to be concise, to be very accurate to the point. So you know you don't want to be too verbose and with a style. So. Thank you for, for your hard work and it was all of this being here and even on the top icing on the cake to have the prize as well. So just keep up the great work. Uh, uh, Megan, I'm just going to say here, I just had actually great timing this morning. I was on a call on, it was a call in Scotland and she's going to use it. So I'm going to email you very soon. Uh, it's been spread on social media. She found out about it. So I think, yeah, that's one of the probably the best assignments. Uh, for sustainable education out there. So thank you again. That's wonderful. I'm so excited to hear that. Um, we have one other school in Scotland, so it'll be very exciting to, to have more schools uh, in different parts of the world. It's, it's wonderful how we've been able to grow and how professors have been able to reach out to their own colleagues to kind of hear about their experiences and then use it in their own class. Um, I feel like I get more professors that have talked to professors that have used the assignment than now come to me to hear about the assignment. So um, so that's really exciting for us. Um, it has been an absolute honor to be here with all of you today. I am 
just so thrilled that we were able to find time to connect and get a chance to hear about how Professor Charles Cho has incorporated Aim to Flourish and how Heather's experience was and to hear from Natasha Friedis about Needs List and how the organization started and what it's doing now. So I'm so thankful that all of you have been here with me today and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and um, we're very excited to celebrate our Flourish Prize winners for Global Goal number 17. Thank you.